So James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. We have made our way finally to the last chapter, to the last half of the chapter. And James has been jumping from thing to thing, it feels like. But he's had this overarching theme of uh, faith and the tongue. And that's, that's kind of something that he's touched on in basically every chapter. And everything that he has taught us thus far has been really, really applicable, right? It's like, do this and don't do that type of thing. So it was pretty, pretty easy to teach this and say, well, here's the application part. Here's, here's what James is telling you to do. Now go and do it, right? Essentially, that's what we're doing as we come here and we study the word of God, right? We want to know Jesus more. We want to know the things that he has told us. And but beyond just knowing that, what do we want to do with it? We want to obey it, right? We want to do it, right? Just do it, right? Otherwise, it's just head knowledge. It's not a real relationship with Jesus. So there is a part where we have to apply it to our lives. When we leave church on Sunday or Wednesday, whatever we have taken in, we go and apply it to our lives, right? Am I right or am I wrong? That's our goal. I mean, sometimes we just forget and we just go on with our lives, right? It says, you know, honor your father and mother. And then, you know, the next day you're like, you know, chewing your mom out and all that stuff. So do what God has said. And, he, and Jesus says himself, if you love me, we talked about this Wednesday, do what? Obey my commandments. Keep my commandments, right? If you love me, then keep and obey my commandments. Listen, if you love Jesus, then you're going to listen to what he says not only just listen, but then you're going to do it. So James has been giving us all this application. We went from a really rich and uh, doctrinally rich and theological book in Ephesians. Well, the first half of Ephesians. Now we've jumped into James. And James says here, I'm going to read 13 through 18, and we'll talk about it. He says, is any anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Well, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So right here in the first verse, or verse 13, the first verse we're looking at, James calls out uh, two ends of the spectrum for, and remember, he's talking to Christians, okay? He's, he's writing to Christians. So we have to read this in the context of that. So two ends of the spectrum. You've got one Christian who is suffering, and then you've got one Christian who is cheerful. And he tells them, and he asks them, if this is you, then this is what you do. And he puts it point blank. He says, if anyone is suffering, what should you do? Pray, right? What he says is, if anyone is cheerful, what should you do? Sing, praise, right? Now they both have the same connotation that you enter into the presence of God. Whether you're suffering or you're cheerful, the idea is that you both enter into the presence of God. There are those who are going to be in the valley and those who are on the mountaintops. There's different seasons in our life. We go through different situations and circumstances, 
But he says, regardless, no matter the situation, we are to enter into the presence of God. And when I think of Psalm 23, when David talks about the Lord being his shepherd, he says, he leads me beside still waters, right? He leads me into green pastures, but he also leads me into the valley of the shadow of death. But God does not depart from David. The shepherd does not depart from the sheep, right? The only time that that happens is when the sheep then on its own leaves the shepherd. But the shepherd himself does not leave. The presence of God is still there, regardless if you're on the mountaintops or in the valley of the shadow of death. He says, wherever you are in life, come into the presence of God. He says, if you're suffering, then pray. And if you're cheerful, then sing. Listen, you guys might have heard a couple weeks ago that California banned singing in church. Did you guys hear about that? Anybody not hear about that? So nobody lives. Okay, two people live in a bubble. Three people live in a bubble. I'm just kidding. Four people. A lot of us didn't know, right? They, because we don't live in California. (laughs) California is just weird. It's its own country anyways. So the governor banned singing in churches, which I already thought they banned people going to church. So how could they? Anyways, they banned singing in church. And that made me think, listen, there's a point in our walk, and especially now in 2020, as things get weirder, as all these different things start happening, and you may be thinking, well, you know, the governor's doing it for, you know, I don't know, he's just trying to be safe. He's trying to, you know, keep people safe, and it's all about people's health. But listen, maybe that's his intention. That's a great, great intention. I get it. You know, maybe maybe it's not, you know, uh, some, you know, conspiracy theory of where they're trying to control people okay maybe it is a good reason behind it but listen there are two spirits in this world there's a spirit of christ and then there's a spirit of what the antichrist right there's a spirit of the antichrist and he can use people even with right intentions to do wrong things And so you and I are called one to, yes, we're to honor the king. First Peter tells us to honor the king, but more importantly, we're to what? Fear God, right? And we get the examples through scriptures where uh, Peter, uh, or yeah, Peter in Acts, when he and the apostles went out preaching Jesus and they were thrown in jail. And I forget who it was, but uh, the guy's like, why did you do that? I told you not to do that. You you basically, you disobeyed me. And Peter said, well, it's better to obey God than man, right? And then we see the example in Exodus chapter one, where we get the whole beginning of the establishment of pretty much the Israelites being freed from Egypt when Moses was born. But if you remember when Moses was born, uh, the Pharaoh told the midwives to kill all the male kids, right? Just allow the, the female kids to live. Well, the midwives, it says, feared God more than they feared the king. You know what happened? Well, Moses came from that. They didn't kill Moses. And and then God used Moses, and we see everything that transpires from the Old Testament through the New Testament. And not to say that it started with those midwives, but we see that they played a key role in what God was doing because they feared God. So there's going to be a time, if it hasn't already, where we are to fear God than we are to more, more than we are to fear man. But that doesn't mean that you just be disobedient and rebellious just to be disobedient and rebellious. Don't just be a teenager because you're a teenager, right? We only disobey if we are walking in line with God, okay? So I want to encourage you with that because there's going to be a time if, if somebody tells you, look, you can't sing in church, you can be like, look, well, I'm going to obey God more than I'm going to obey man. 
If I'm cheerful, if I want to enter the presence of God, then I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to sing. And some of you are sitting here probably like, well, I didn't even sing this morning and nobody was stopping me. It's okay. We'll make a melody in your heart, right? Ephesians tells us to do that. It's all right. You guys can focus on me. Well, not on me. Let's focus on the Lord. So he continues, or he encourages us to pray and to sing psalms and where to enter into the presence of God. And one of the questions I want to ask is, how do we come into the presence of God? Well, the first one is it starts with Jesus, right? It starts with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. But you cannot come to the Father except through Jesus Christ, right? Ephesians 3.12 tells us, Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So, in your prayers and in your praise and as you come to the presence of God, it all starts with the gospel. It all starts with Jesus. It is Jesus Christ himself who has died for your sins. It is Jesus Christ who has taken your punishment, who has cleansed us and redeemed us and saved us and he has raised us into new life. We become a child of God when we repent and we put our faith in him. And so then we have access to our heavenly father, right? And the word tells us that we can boldly come to the throne of grace. And the second way is kind of an obvious way. And that's actually just to pray, <laughs> to pray. You know, oftentimes we forget that God, I mean, if you think about it, God who is the one that created you, God who is the one who created everything, the God of the universe, he has made himself available to hear your prayers. It's not like you have to schedule a meeting. It's not like you have to, you know, like for instance, our pastor, Kevin, is so busy that his, his basically, and you can see this within companies or anybody that owns a business, that usually they're booked for months on end, right? So when somebody calls and says, I want to, I need to meet with you, well, <laughs> you're not meeting with them until September, right? Because July and August are already booked up. But God is not that way, right? God is not just bound to one place at one time. You can hear all things, all times. And so we can come and approach him at all times. And when we think about that, that should really change our perspective on a lot of things. So James says, is anyone among you suffering? Well, who are the ones that are suffering? Those are the ones that are being afflicted, the ones that are in a trial. They're the ones who need to go to God to receive his comfort, his wisdom, and his help. And Essentially, that is through prayer. Now, this doesn't always guarantee that like God's going to automatically heal you or he's automatically going to take you out of your suffering, right? We know that. Like God is not just a genie. And, and that's good. You know why that's good? Because I'm dumb. The things that I want are usually not good for me. I think they are in the moment, but in the long run, and even sometimes in the moment, they're not the best thing for me right? You guys understand that? In Romans uh, 8.28, God promises all things to work uh, for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Do we really understand that? That there are going to be things that happen to you, but it is for your good. You may not understand why, but it is. So going to God in your suffering and praying to him, he may not just alleviate that suffering. It doesn't guarantee that the source of your affliction will go away. We see that with the example of Paul. Remember, he had the thorn in his flesh and three times he prayed to God. I mean, this is Paul we're talking about. The, I mean, like one of the greatest guys that we read in the Bible, great man of faith. And God didn't take it away. 
And why? He said, my grace is sufficient for you because in your weakness, my strength is perfected in you, right? In my weakness is when I fully rely upon God. It's almost like using crutches. You know, like when you're weak, you can't really use your own power to walk. Well, then God becomes my crutches. He's the one that gives me the, the ability to walk. He is my power at that point. But when I'm not weak, when I'm not crippled, it's all about me sometimes. And I actually lose my reliance upon God. So sometimes he allows that suffering and that affliction. Then James reminds those that are cheerful to sing praises, right? To, to remember that every good gift, we learned this a couple months ago in James chapter 117, every good gift and every perfect gift is where? Is from where? from above and it comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning and first thessalonians 5 6 reminds us rejoice always you guys want to memorize a verse <laughs> or memorize that one but then do it don't just memorize it but do it rejoice always pray without ceasing and everything give thanks for this is the will of god in christ jesus for you and I added verse 17 18 to that so in good times or in bad times, we're to turn to God, right? We're to show our trust and faith in him. And this is an individual thing. This is what you are to do on your own. And we see that here that there's going to be a shift from a singular to a plural from verse 13 to 14, right? Verse 13 is, is singular. It's talking about what you need to do. And then verse 14, it makes it plural and adds, it adds others to the equation where first we personally enter into the presence of God in both good times and bad times, and then second, we do it together. So verse 14 says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So here we are now told that not only should you pray by yourself, but you should also pray with other people and have other people pray over you. We're going to see more of this in verse 15 and 16. But the sick person here, he says, look, if there's anyone among you who is sick, and I really believe at this point in context that James is really talking about being spiritually sick and also physically sick. Okay. I, I believe that it's both here and, and we'll see why. So the sick believer here is supposed to call the elders of the church and you know there's an indication that there is really something bad happening here and the elders who are the elders of the church the overseers right the overseers of the church and their responsibility is, is somewhat to to shepherd the flock a little bit uh, we see a lot of their qualifications or we see all of their qualifications they're listed in titus 1 and first timothy 3 which we don't have time to go through right now but basically just just to put it simply that they're righteous men who live out their faith in god and so we have, we have elders in our church. We have overseers within our church. And they will be the ones who do pray over uh, people who are sick or hurting. And we'll even see at sometimes that they will anoint them with oil, which we're going to get into in a minute. He says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, what is the anointing why does the anointing of oil have to happen is there some you know mysticism that happens with that is there some great thing that happened i don't know is, is it healing is it automatically heal you 
No. So what is it? Well, I think this was a sacred act of faith. We see this in Mark chapter 6, verse 13, where Jesus' disciples actually did this. But it's really the only time that we see it written in the Gospels. It says that they anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. But how many times were people healed without oil? Many times, right? Many, many times. Even in the Old Testament, the anointing of oil was used, but it was more so used to set people apart, to ordain them to, uh, to leaders or as priests or even just as holy things. In the New Testament, the word anointing is closely connected with the Holy Spirit. And often we see oil being the representation of the Holy Spirit. So there was the symbol of the presence of God's powerful Holy Spirit. An anointing with oil or the laying on of hands, which we see throughout scriptures, was really just a stimulus to faith. It was to, to put into practice your faith. It was just a symbol per se. And I do believe and I do know that people can be healed without the anointing of oil. But here James tells them to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. This happens through their prayer, and it's through a prayer of faith. And as we pray, our prayers should always be grounded in faith, right? Always grounded in faith. And so many times our prayers are quick, fast. Um, there's no faith in them at all. And sometimes we do have prayers with no faith, but that type of prayer should just be, Lord, give me the faith. Lord, help my unbelief. Right? We see that through scriptures when people came to Jesus and they said, Lord, help my unbelief. So our prayers should be founded in faith. It should be fervent. So in verse 15, it says, in the prayer of faith, again, prayer and faith, they go hand in hand, will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I believe it's, it isn't simply the prayer that opens the door to healing, but the prayer of faith says it will save the sick. The Greek has a definite article before the word faith here that we see in verse 15, which makes it really a structure of belief. The prayer is based on biblical faith that will save the spiritually sick, right? And faith being what Hebrews 11 and 1 tells us, which is what? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen right there is a faith that we have in jesus so it's necessary to call the elders here the the spiritually mature to pray for the spiritually and physically sick believer the prayer of faith is always in the name of the lord which we see at the end of verse 14 and the prayer of faith says it will restore or as verse 15 says that it will raise him up and the idea is that will, it will restore that person. And the word sick here does not refer to a physical illness, but a spiritual illness, a spiritual sickness. It means to waste away, to suffer, to be distressed, fatigued, or afflicted. The idea is to be gradually, is to gradually lose one's motivation to accomplish some goal, to become discouraged, tired, or give up. I do want to mention this, that often our spiritual sickness can be accompanied by our physical sickness that's not always the case you know sometimes we think and, and there's this 
this idea that's out there that's not true that your physical that the reason that you're physically sick or the reason that you got this type of disease or maybe the reason that you got the virus you know is because of your sin right is because you've been sinning is why you got sick it's just your consequence well that's not a true statement that's not a true statement we see that uh that example in the gospels with the guy who was lame and and people were saying well he he got that because of the sin of his parents right and jesus said no 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 that's not the case he he was made that way he had that disability so that the works of god would be revealed in him and then god healed him right and and all that brought glory to god and i don't know what else happened in his life but that for that reason of having that disability was to bring, to reveal the works of god and to bring god glory so think about that so often our spiritual sickness can be accompanied by our physical sickness and you know, when I think more importantly, and I, again, I think this accompanies both physical and spiritual, but we have to remember that if we go and seek prayer for our physical sickness, I think James wants to remind us that you also have to remember your spiritual sickness. You know, sometimes we want to be alleviated from this type of sickness, but there's some type of hidden sin in our life that we don't want to confess to, that we don't want to repent of, that we don't want to be healed of. And James is like, well, dude, that's, don't you understand that, and Jesus did this all throughout the Gospels, that your spiritual health was more important than your physical health? And that sometimes because of your spiritual health, there can be a physical sickness that accompanies it? Have you ever guys like worried yourself sick? Right? Am I the only one that can do that? Right? And then you can't move? you just can't you just get this nasty feeling or you've done something really bad and you just overcome with guilt and then that can equate to some type of physical ailment right it can even be something that is mental and so we first need to be more worried about our spiritual health more worried about that and this is a prime example of what we're going through right now where people are afraid to leave their homes and and please understand that i'm not judging them I'm just making a statement that I know and I see. That people are afraid to leave their homes. They're afraid to do certain things because they don't want to get sick. And that's okay. Like, you should worry about your health. But that should also go to, like, what you eat. You should be worried about what you eat. If you exercise, you do this, you do that. What goes in your mind. The things that you consume, right? But more importantly, we should be worried about our spiritual health. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, the only other occurrence of this word sickness we see in Hebrews 12.3, and it does not refer to a physical illness, but to a divine discipline due to sin in one's life. This person is basically wasting away due to a sin. We even see this with the example of David when he talked about the sin that was in his life. I forget how he put it, but he talked about how like he could feel it in his bones. It became physical, right? As he was in sin and he hadn't been restored by God yet. He hadn't repented and turned to God yet. When that happens in our lives, there can be a physical ailment and disability in our lives. It can really hinder us. And Pastor Kevin was talking about it this morning when he talked about 
pornography and how people are so consumed by it that oftentimes it's even worse or just as bad as taking heroin. That's how bad it is for your brain, right? That there are physical ailments that come from taking drugs, but even more so not even consuming anything physical, but something that you see visually can deteriorate your brain, right? There's something physical that can happen from the spiritual. And he says when he meets with these people who are struggling with it and and people who are confessing it and explaining how they feel, they talk about how they're just, they feel like they're just, uh, they're not, how did he put it? That they're just a a shell of who they are. And this isn't just with that that type of sin. This is just sin in general. A sin that James is going to tell us that is unconfessed. A sin that is living in darkness. There's no freedom. There's no uh, healing and restoration that comes when you hide things like that, when you are in sin. So in Hebrews 12, 3, it says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary, that's the word sickness here, that's in the Greek, and discouraged in your souls. There is a restoration here, a spiritual restoration of a defeated and broken Christian. And the word save that we see here in verse 15 uh, yeah, the verse that we see in verse, the word that we see here in verse 15, the word save means to restore, to restore. Then James says at the end of the verse, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Right? So here, that's why we, that's how we see the tie of, it's not just a physical ailment, it's a spiritual ailment, because now he has been forgiven of his Uh, committed sins and the tense of the word committed in the Greek means that the believer committed the sin in the past with the result that he remains unrepentant of that sin. You can translate it this way. And if he has been committing sins, this is a persistent rebellion, rebellious uh, attitude towards God's word. He's a person who refuses to confess and repent of his sin. He's in a state of rebellion against God and we see examples of this in Psalm and Proverbs and 1 John. I'll read them to you really quick. Psalm chapter 32, verse 5, it says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. And this is key right here, guys. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8-10. through 10, It says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But, here's the awesome news. And confessing sin is not an easy thing. But it is a, it is a good thing. Repenting of sin is a good thing. I'm going to explain it like this. You guys ever thrown up before? I'm sure you have. Right? Probably some of us recently. How many of you like to throw up? Okay, so like I would kind of raise my hand and kind of not raise my hand because part of me doesn't like to, like it hates it. Like anytime I'm nauseous, I, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I'm not a girl because I can never be pregnant and be nauseous for nine months. So I hate being nauseous because I hate the feeling of throwing up, right? But I also love the idea of throwing up when I'm sick because why? How do you feel? You feel better, right? Like immediately you feel better unless you got some more coming out or you start, you know, that's the idea of, of repentance. That's how I see repentance. 
You know, it's like, I, I don't want to bring this up. I don't want to confess it because it, it, you know, I'm scared of it and it hurts. And it really does. There's a, a, a spiritual and a physical hurt that comes from it because you're holding on to this, this thing that is just darkness, right? A thing that separates you from God. And, but the beautiful thing of it is when we do, when we do confess and we do repent, it's like throwing up and it hurts. But in the end, God forgives and he restores and you feel better. And there's a freedom that comes about because light then enters into the darkness. So 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, now that's up to you. It's up to you to confess your sins. I mean, it's not like God doesn't know your sins. It's not like, oh my gosh, God's like, whoa, Alicia, you were doing that? No, like he already knows. But you have to reveal the darkness that's in you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, it's like throwing up. You'll automatically feel better. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. There are a number of passages in the word of God that show uh, that sin causes sickness. We see it in Deuteronomy 28, John 5, 1 Corinthians 11. But this really only occurs when somebody is in complete rebellion to the word of God and refuses to confess his sin over a period of time. Listen, more important than your physical health is your spiritual health. So yes, go in prayer to God. Go pray in faith. But always remember the things that you need to confess. Always remember that there is a spiritual aspect to your life that you need Christ to heal. It's important that we acknowledge our sins. Psalm 51 verses 2 through 4 says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, and I have done this evil in your sight. That you may be found, when you uh, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Listen, I know it's not like the most fun thing to hear. It's like, oh, you need to repent of your sins and confess, but it is also the best thing that you could hear. Right? It is the best thing. You know, I I wish I could come up here and tell you, you know. Life is going to be awesome and God's going to bless everything that you, you know, you put your hand to. And, you know, God's going to, you know, bless you with an awesome education and a great family and a great spouse and, you know, kids who don't sin and, you know, never talk back. And you're going to have a great career. You're going to make lots of money. I wish I could say that. But even if I, I mean, if I did and I could, I'd be lying. But two, is that really what we want? Do we really want to have the best life now? Or do you want to have a better life later that's eternal? You know, James just reminded us in, John, in James 4 that life is what? But a vapor. It goes quick. You guys are young, but the older you get, you're going to look, wow, this life goes really quick. Like, time flies. I mean, shoot, look, Lydia's already in youth group now, right? Time flies. I remember when she was, I remember when she was born. I remember when a lot of you were, well, not a lot of you, but if, actually, Lydia, you're probably the only one. <laughs> I don't want to lie up here. Well, no, that's the only one. All right. Let's keep going. 
In verse 16, this is key. Confess your trespasses to one another. I'm trying to pick it up. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So the word confess here means to admit openly or fully. And it comes from three Greek words to say, same, and out. The idea is to speak out about something you agree is wrong. So in this kind of account encounter, by confessing one's sin to another Christian and to another person, the person is making himself accountable for his sin. You know, and, and, and please know this and understand this, that first and foremost, confession needs to be made to God, right? But there is a freeness that comes and accountability that comes to us confessing to one another. And maybe, and I think some, I don't know if this is in context, but we do need to confess to one another when we have sinned against one another, right? There needs to be a confession, there needs to be praying over, which in essence is like forgiveness. But... By allowing us to confess to one another, we're basically piercing the darkness of our secrets that have been locked inside of us. The sin that has been inside of us. And once it's done, we can fully let go. We can fully give it to God. But oftentimes, we want to refuse it. We want to refuse confessing our sins. And sometimes it's because, one, we, we're afraid of what other people may think, right? But we need to stop that because... All of us are sinners, all of us are wretched, and all of us are just, we're bad, apart from Christ, right? It is only Jesus who gets the glory. But some of us also, apart from just being afraid of what other people may think, we also like being in our sin, you know? It's, it's like, it's, it's kind of dumb. It's like, what, what are you doing? Why do you keep doing that? Did you guys ever see that commercial a long time ago? where the guy uh, would let the donkey kick him? No? Okay, well, that was the commercial. He would just let him kick him. And it's like, well, why? what's the purpose of that? It's kind of stupid. In the same sense, when we're continuing in our sin, it's almost being as like dumb like that. It's this cycle that we go through. Well, I'm going to go partake in my sin, right? Hear me out. I'm going to go partake in my sin. It's going to feel good. But then after that, after that, that feeling right goes away because it doesn't last then it turns into shame and it turns into guilt and it just turns into you know me just being a shell of myself and then you know maybe i'll kind of go and and ask god to forgive me right but there's you know you, really what you're saying is well god take away this this feeling and then you you because of that shame and guilt and because it hasn't been taken away what do you then do well you go try to cover it up with that good euphoria feeling of sinning, right? But then what happens? Well, then you feel that shame and the guilt, and then you, you know you try to you, know, you pray to God and say, "Well, forgive me." And but then what else happens? And the feeling's still there, and so then you go, "I'm just going to keep going until you guys get the point." It's just a cycle, right? There's a cycle until there is a true confession made unto God. It is a cycle until there is a a. A point in your life where you truly follow Jesus. When you wake up, when you go to bed, in your day, you are making melody in your heart. You are praying for his Holy Spirit to guide you, to give you strength. And you are, most importantly, reading his word. It is his word that will give you the power. It is only through Jesus Christ. And it helps us when we confess to one another because now it's out in the open. And now bear in mind, this isn't James saying, 
you know, get a bullhorn and tell everyone what you've done. <laughs> That's not the idea here. Is find somebody who, who can disciple you. Find somebody who can keep you accountable. Find somebody who can pray with you, right? That's what James says. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. You know, sometimes we think of prayer as, you know, we have a lack of faith. If you really believe in Jesus and you pray with faith, things can happen. <laughs> they really can. I mean, you can't just believe a little bit of the word. You can't just believe the stuff that you want to hear. You have to believe all of it. So if James tells us that we're to pray for one another, and then if he tells us in the next part of the sentence, next part of the verse, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, well, man, you got to believe that. And that's exactly what he says. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You may be thinking, well, I'm not a righteous man. That's why I'm trying to pray. <laughs> well, please understand, you're not a righteous man. You're not righteous by what you do. You're only righteous by who you know. You're only righteous because of Jesus, right? Don't think about, well, I did this or I did that. Well, your righteousness is because of Jesus. And when you go to God, it is because Jesus has given you the ability Right? He is the intercessor to us for, for us to God. So confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. And he says that you may be healed. Right? There's a healing process that comes, a restoration that comes. And then he reminds us that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Effective has... Uh, it means to have power, to put something into operation. It's where we get our English word, energy. And fervent has the idea of strong. And I believe much of our prayer life is, or prayer in our prayer life is ineffective because uh, it's not fervent, right? I'll use the example real quick. I think of, um, I think of my little brother. He's not here, so I can say it. Hopefully he listens later, and then he tells me, why'd you say that? Uh, whenever he wants McDonald's, he gets McDonald's. From, and he's 14. Like, he can't drive. can't go anywhere. So how do you think he gets McDonald's? Yeah. DoorDash? No. Grubhub? No. Like, my parents get it. They go get it. But how does that happen? Because he fervently asks for it over and over and over and over. And then he'll have different ways of asking and different times of asking. And then at one point, it's just like, okay. This is kind of a dumb example. But... The idea here is when we pray, oftentimes it's like, okay, well, here's that one prayer, but we, we lack this, this, this strength in our prayer. We lack the, um, the consistency in our prayer. We lack, you know, going to God and being in his presence. When you really, really want something or need something, you'll stand in line for hours for it. You'll continue asking for it. And if you truly, truly believe, you're going to trust in God to provide. That's the idea here that, that James is get, giving us, that our prayers aren't just, you know, and God can answer you if you pray once. The idea is not just like, okay, you need to pray a certain amount of times and then he's going to listen. But where's the heart? Where's the motive? Is there a fervency and it avails much? It means it accomplishes much. And we'll close here in verse 17 and 18. It says, Elijah, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. I like this because you may be thinking, well, I'm not a righteous man or, you know, uh, you know, maybe my prayers haven't been effective or, you know, this or that. You know, I'm not I'm not the type of person. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a leader. I barely go to church. You know, this or that. Well, whatever. Who cares? 
right? If you are walking with the Lord, if you are reading his word, and you have been made righteous because of Jesus, this is what James says. He says, don't worry about that because Elijah, who was a prophet, but he was a man just like you and me, with a nature like ours. But the difference was that he prayed earnestly, right? And when he prayed earnestly, it says that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. It's a long time. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. This is powerful. Elijah is a great man of God. You know, he has the courage, he has the fervency to pray earnestly that this would happen. And we get this example here in, in 1 Kings uh, 18. I believe it's, in, no, 1 Kings, in, yeah, I think it's 18. Um, that we see this, that, that James is giving us this example. And Elijah was a great man of God. And we talk about this pretty often, this, this example of Elijah, when he called down fire from heaven. You guys remember that? And, and then also in 1 Kings 18, he uh, slayed 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Uh, but then he fled, and he runs, and he gets scared, right? He's physically, emotionally, and spiritually broken. And he tells the Lord in 1 Kings 19, he says, Look, I've had enough, right? He says, Take my life. I'm no better than, you know, my ancestors. And he's all down. Sounds pretty familiar, right? Sounds like us. Sometimes we have some highs and then we have some lows. And then he keeps running and he keeps running. And he's scared. And he's hurt. He's broken. And then God asks him, well, what, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah then comes up with, you know, a great answer. No, he continues to whine and he comes up with excuses. And he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. He was a great man of God, but he was also a man, <laughs> right? He had the nature and spirit like ours. And James tells us that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And I think our problem here is that we don't believe it. We think that God is a respecter of persons, even though the Bible tells us that he is not. We think that he's going to listen to people who are uh, more perfect than us or more spiritual than us. Truth is that God looks for faith. Okay, God looks for faith. And when he finds it, he can do powerful things with you guys. He can forgive your sins. He can forget about your weaknesses. He can even utilize your weaknesses. He sees your faith. He can see your faith. He sees your bold faith, your fervent praying. He can use you far beyond your own capacity. And he reminds Elijah, look, you're not the only one who hasn't bowed down to Baal. What does he say? I've got 7,000 lined up, ready, waiting for you who have not bowed down. And Elijah this whole time thought he was alone. So I want to encourage you, as you pray, and as you come into the presence of God, do it in faith. Be more concerned with your spiritual health than your physical health. That's not to say, don't ever think about your physical health, but I think there is a perspective that we have to have. 
and then we have to realign our perspective that my spiritual health is more important that god if you don't take away you know this ailment or this disability so be it use it for your glory so that the works of god can be displayed in me but more importantly or continue to forgive me of my sins or show me that grace and show me that mercy restore me 